Welcome to the Ambitious and Balanced Working Mom Podcast, the place for women who want to balance their ambitious career goals with their life as a mom. If you're looking to feel more confident, decisive, and productive at both work and home, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Rebecca Olson. Let's get to it. Hey, Working Moms, I have a real treat for you today. I am interviewing a past client of mine. Her name is Nicole. And Nicole is a mom of two young kids. She is also at a director level in her company. She was one of the early people at her company. So she's been with them for well over a decade. I think she even says close to 15 years. And yet she still struggles with feeling like an imposter, feeling like she's not good enough at her job, feeling like she never gets enough done, feeling like she's letting people down. It was constantly in her head, all of these swirling negative thoughts. And when she came to me, she told me that really what she was resigned to is that the only way she could really focus on being a good mom to her kids was she just needed to pull back in her career. That was it. She was so overwhelmed that she needed to just go down to part-time and she was considering asking her company to do that. Now, here was the thing about her company. Her company was extremely family-friendly. One of the most family-friendly companies of clients that I have. Now, I've worked with hundreds of women. I have seen lots of different companies. Hers was very flexible. Hers allowed you to take time when you needed it, expected you to take time for your kids when you needed to. And even though she was in that situation, she was still finding herself working 45, 50 plus hours a week and just feeling so overwhelmed by everything that she had to do and feeling like she had to say yes to everyone. So that was the state that she came to coaching in. And in about three months time, she had truly shifted all of the internal dialogue within her. She'd not just shifted it, but she'd really learned how to manage it. That's probably a better way of saying it because all of that negative self-talk doesn't always just go away. Oftentimes what we have to do is just learn how to not listen to it so often. And that's really what she did. So this interview is all about how did she get to that place? Because when we recorded this interview, I remember she had recently had a review with her boss and her boss even said to her, you know, I've just noticed over the last few months that you seem a lot more confident. And he said to her, you know, I don't know if you're a total mess on the inside, but on the outside, it really feels like you are doing well and you have everything together and you are really thriving at work. And she got to say to him, actually, what's going on on the inside feels just like that. I feel very confident in what I'm doing. I feel really good about how I'm managing work life. And then her husband even said the same thing to her noticed just out of the blue, told her, you know, I've just really noticed a big change. It feels like you are really on top of things and you feel much more calm and present. She is and she does. And so in this interview, she shares how did she go from this place of feeling like an imposter and feeling like she was always behind and that the only solution was to pull back in her career? How did she go from that to feeling this sense of confidence where two people, two people that know her very well, can call out in her growth and how much she's changed. What did she do? How did she do that? So you're going to want, for sure, listen to this podcast, however you are right now, if you're walking or you're driving, but you may also want to come back and re-listen to this with a pen and paper handy because she really does talk about several of the exercises that we do in coaching to help shift her mindset from being 
an imposter to being confident. All right, you're going to love it. Let's get to it. Well, welcome, Nicole. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast today. I brought Nicole on. I asked her to come on. She is a client of mine that just recently finished six months of one-on-one coaching with me. I wanted to bring her on this podcast because one of the biggest transformations that took place for her in the midst of this six months was... And she is ultimately the one that said this to me, which is why I wanted to bring her on the podcast. But she just talked so much about how her mindset shifted over the course of that six months. And I feel like when we talk about changing our mindset or... I like to just say changing our thoughts because that's really all we're talking about. We're changing our thoughts. We're changing our perspectives. We're changing our beliefs. We're changing the words that are going through our head. That's really all we mean by mindset. So it's not this big, weird mystery of what a mindset is. It's literally all that means. It's like the thoughts that are going through your head. So for Nicole, like these thoughts really shifted for her in some pretty powerful ways. And it had a really, really large impact obviously, and the positive to the life that she has now. And I just really wanted to hear her experience in a very honest and raw kind of way because so many people think that this is hard and it is hard, but there's also like an ability to do it. It's not difficult in the sense it's impossible, but it's hard in the sense that it takes some work. And so I really want to hear from her around the work that it took, some of the tools that she used and that we used in coaching to really shift her thoughts and her mindset and kind of talk about really what happened ultimately when she did this. So thank you, Nicole, for being here and for your willingness to share. My pleasure. I'm so excited to be here and still feel like I'm a bit on a high after our six months together and just want to share with others about my experiences and hopefully it will help other working moms. I love it. Let's just start out with tell us a little bit about you, how many kids you have, a little bit about what you do or whatever feels relevant to you. So Nicole Anderson, I uh, have two little boys. I had them late in life. So I'm in my early 40s. And they are almost five and three and a half. And they certainly keep me on my toes. <laughs> I can have no two boys. I can. <laughs> my boy is four and a half, you know, and then I have an older girl who's seven. But boys at this age, man, like there is something about his energy that is was not my daughter's energy in the slightest. So the fact that you have two of them <laughs> at roughly this age. I'm feeling it for you. It feels for you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it really came alive for me whenever I was at a birthday party one time. And I think this, I just had my first at this point. I think I was pregnant with my second. My oldest just ran, like did nonstop circles, just nonstop. And I look over and there's this just adorable little girl who's about a week's age difference from David. And she was just sitting calmly playing with her mom on the blanket. And I was like, oh, huh. Okay. I'm not crazy. Uh, It's a thing. It's a real thing. (laughs) It's a real thing. It's a real thing. I remember my, the daycare provider that we sent both of our kids to, she was amazing. And after he was born and I started having some conversations with her about him and the differences, she's like, Oh, I mean, for sure there is a difference between girls and boys. Energy wise, it is in fact different. Just not all of them are, we, we can't say it about everybody, but Generally speaking, the energy between boys and girls at a young age is very different. My son comes up behind you and he just rams you with his head. (laughs) And you usually don't know he's coming. And you're just like, please, like personal space. I need some personal space. You know, my daughter never did stuff like that. The headbutt is a real thing. thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
So we have a sense of what home life is like. It's very energetic. Chaotic. Very chaotic. Yes. (laughs) So tell us about work life. Yeah. So I'm a director at an organization that is uh, about 100 people right now. I started the company about 11 years ago. We were 15 people at the time. Wow. So cool. When I joined the company, there weren't really any other new moms, right? New working moms. And so, you know, years down the path, I was really just like the second new working mom in the company when I got pregnant. It was really just like a year after my other coworker. So it really felt like we were trying to navigate it, all figure it all out together, right? Navigating what does maternity leave? How long do you, you know, stay out? Creating our first pumping room, you know, really figuring out what career growth meant as a working mom and how to navigate both that side of me that loved my children and loved being a new mom, something I didn't think that I wanted to be for a very long time. And so I was just very excited about that role, but I also wanted to grow and advance professionally. I had heard this phrase at one point, you know, you can have it all, but not all at the same time. (laughs) I liked that phrase because it helped to relieve some pressures, but at the same time, I didn't love that concept because it felt like I had to put parts of me on hold or on a shelf. I had to kind of wait to advance my career if I wanted to be a kick butt mom to my kids and vice versa, you know? So, you know, I struggled for a while. I did what had made me successful to that point. I just leaned in. I did more, said yes to everything. I worked late at nights, a lot of weekends, my poor husband. It was part of my every day. It's like your DNA. This is what success looks like for you. Exactly. This is what you've known. Exactly. Your company is fairly... I'm going to use the phrase family-friendly, just generally speaking. I mean, the culture or the mindset... I mean, I don't know about the culture, but at least from top down, it's like they value parents and they want you to be great parents and they give you the flexibility. And there's a lot of grace. Yeah for employees at this company, which is amazing because of course not everybody has that. Yeah, absolutely. And yet it still wasn't working for you, which I think is a really important thing to note because we often think if I just had a different company or if I just had a different boss or if the culture was X, Y, or Z, or if we had better maternity leaves or if I got to be more flexible, like we think about wanting all of our circumstances to change in our work, that somehow that's magically going to create balance in our life or make us feel better about us or whatever it is, right? And here you are. You have a great company. It's for sure better than average in terms of really supporting working parents. And you still weren't able to experience the kind of working mom life that you wanted. Tell us a little bit about what that experience was like You know, six months ago when we started this process. I and mean, I love that you pointed out that that support was there. There is that focus on the whole person. We're 65% women. Leaders of the company adapted very quickly when we said, hey, we need a pumping room. They're like, great, what do you need? Like that support was definitely there. And I just had this internal perspective of like looking around and seeing what other people were doing and that I had to keep up and I had to do all these things. You know, some of it was part of my own DNA of like, wanting to do more, wanting to be perfect, you know, all of that. I remember very clearly sitting in the car during our first call. I felt stressed. I spent a lot of time anxious. Intense was the word used to describe me by some close loved ones. There were a lot of late nights. There were a lot of long to-do lists that were very overwhelming. And I still have to-do lists. They're long now, but they just were all encompassing and just this constant feeling like I didn't have enough time in the day. And the reality was, you know, I think about 
there weren't very many days when I left the day feeling energized and motivated. More often than not, I felt like I was just in a, like a hamster wheel. And I just, you know, as we started talking and I started realizing a lot of it was rooted in this feeling of not being good enough. So I have to do more. I have to do better. I have to be perfect. You know, it was a few calls in and I remember very clearly us talking about, I was convinced I needed to quit my job. I needed to find something else. If I was ever going to fulfill my purpose, it was this, some big thing, this big pie in the sky purpose that was out there. And it made me, there was so much like sadness and fear because I did love my company so much, but I felt like I just, I had to make that choice. That was the only choice. And then in that same call, I was thinking if I could just, I had in my mind for months that if I could just move to part-time, if my problem is there's not enough time in the day to do everything, then let me just agree to do less. And then I'll just move to be part-time. And then of course, all the reality is of, well, that's going to hold me back professionally and all of those things. Okay. I'm going to stop you there for a second, because as I was kind of introducing this time, like I really want to talk a lot about mindset shift. And so if you think back to the dominant thoughts or the dominant mindset that you had at that time, if we kind of got down into the nitty gritty, you've, you've named a couple of things like there's not enough time or I should be doing more. You know, I have to keep up. Those are literal just thoughts that went through your head a lot. Or I'm not good enough was another one you just mentioned. Are there any others that really come to mind as being like, I was really stuck in this thought pattern at that time. And it obviously it wreaked a lot of havoc as we as, as we are hearing about. Yeah. I mean, really the root of it, I think was that feeling of I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. You know, I'm a fraud. I don't deserve to be in this position that I'm in. You know, I don't know enough. And as we talked, that really was the root of the voice in my head and the stories in my head really stemmed from that mindset. How long do you think that mindset had been there? Uh, I mean, I remember being in sixth grade and having those thoughts, right? I mean, this is something that's carried with me for quite a bit, right? And so my antidote was always just do more, do it better, be perfect, right? Yeah, because if you did more or you did it right or you did it perfect, then you would prove that that's not true. Yeah. Versus just not believing those thoughts or not listening to them at all, <laughs> which is what we worked on. We, we worked on like really selectively hearing the thoughts that are more useful to you and kind of letting go or minimizing your listening to the thoughts that aren't that useful to you ultimately, right? You through the process learned that there were multiple voices coming to you. You just were really, really tuned in to one radio station, which was, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not doing enough. It was causing you to overwork basically. Yeah. So we had to shift the dial. We had to shift the dial. If there's people out there that know what a dial is, radio, <laughs> you know, you hit the little thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the question that you asked me several times that I've struggled with more than anything was, and why is this not true? Because in my head, it was so true. It was so ingrained. And it was, this was different things based on the different conversations. The aha moments were when I realized like, oh, wait, this thing that I've been carrying around as truth and that has been really guiding all of my actions. Wait, it's not true. Wait, I can create a different story. There's other options. And that was mind blowing. Right. <laughs> so simple, but. Well, for sure. If you've been basically indoctrinated yourself with that radio station, and I think about it in that way, a lot of times if we think about it in the negative, we think of somebody being brainwashed, 
what we're thinking about is them being told something over and over and over again, so much so that it becomes their mindset and their way of thinking, and they have no other ability to have perspective of other possibilities of ways of thinking. You know, they've been brainwashed ultimately, but it's just because they've been told the same thing over and over and over again. You told yourself, nobody necessarily told you externally, but you were telling yourself, we all have this internal dialogue with ourselves that starts at really young age. <laughs> and we just indoctrinate ourselves with that unless we stop and take a moment and assess it and decide, like tune out for a moment and say, is this really true? How might it not be true? Do I really want to listen to this radio station anymore? Is it helpful to me? Is it useful? You know, we really just for a while there just stopped and said, let's just take an inventory of the station in your head and let's decide if this is what's going on in there and what the station is the stain is the station brainwashing you or or what ultimately i'm curious i'm asking you this a little bit on the spot and it could be a little bit deep so you know you tell me if you feel like you can answer it or not but in all of our work i know that we talked about it which is like where you say that this voice has been with you since you were a kid and i i know exactly what that voice is for me i have a voice that i could talk about for sure that talks about my inadequacy ever since I was a kid and then needing to perform for people and so forth. But it's not even about thinking that it came from childhood or whatever. Like We don't have to go back and to kind of determine what happened in life that might have sparked it. But one of the questions that we ask in coaching and I asked of you, which is why do you think your brain still defaults to it? Because our brain doesn't like to think anything. It doesn't offer to you a thought that it doesn't think is useful to you. Now, being at the age you're at now as an adult, it still is thinking that it's useful to you and it still offers it to you. And why? what did we determine or why do you think that thought continued to be dominant for you as an adult? I mean, it's a really good question. I don't know that I have a good answer for it. I think there must have been elements of it that seemed to you know, work at some level, whether it was feeding a need somehow. Like one of the things that we had talked a lot about early on was just this recognition of how much validation from other people that I was needing. And some of that was baked into those feelings of inadequacy. But yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't have a really good answer. Yeah. Well, we do know for sure that it it was a pattern. We could always default back to that because we live in this world of habit and our brains operate in habit. And so it just likes to think the thought that we've been thinking all the time. So we know it's just this habit of a thought. But one of the things that strikes me is that thinking that I'm not good enough and I'm not smart enough or there isn't enough, what it would send you into was like action mode. And so if we stripped that away, what are you going to use to get you moving. like It was like the basis of success in your brain is to constantly berate you (laughs) and tell you you're not doing enough. So you move into action mode and you keep going and you are more successful because you're going to put more effort into it. It's almost like whipping the horse in a terrible way. But that, I mean, just in this conversation, as we're reflecting on it, that's what really strikes me is it was your motivator, even though it was negatively motivated and it made you feel terrible. It also made you really successful. You're absolutely right. It's uh, think about the examples of procrastination that we had talked about and how I had procrastinated. And many times it was because I felt like I didn't have the right answers or I didn't know enough to be able to get to it. But when I got to the point of like, I've got to get this done, I have two hours, it's got to be done, which is get there. And that worked, right? Because I ended up having something that I could deliver and feel okay about. 
And it just moved me to action to your point, just really moving the needle, getting out of that, I don't know, analysis paralysis mode. For sure. So we, in the process of like tuning out of this radio station and tuning into another, what was part of that process was going to be what, how do you stay successful as a mom in your job? You know, just how do you stay successful? How do you keep in the action mode? Because that's something that helps you to be successful, but without this very negative voice that's kind of whipping you all the time. I'm curious what some of those tools were that really stand out to you that really helped shift into a different radio station and into a different mindset that allowed you to be successful still for sure, which we're going to for sure hear a bit about what that success today looks like, but it allowed you to be successful, but without all of this terrible, icky, inadequate, you know, I'm horrible feelings that were coming with it. The first part was really just the activity around finding my purpose, you know, moving away from convinced that I had to be doing something different in order to live my purpose. When we went through the activity of writing all the reasons why I deserve to be in my job or what led me the successful things that I had done to get me to where I was. And, you know, I thought it was going to be really hard to do, but it ended up being a long list. And I looked at the end of it going, huh. And then when we did the work to figure out, oh, you know what, this is my purpose. And by the way, you're already doing it. And there are ways that you can do that at home and at work exactly where you are. I'm already doing it now or have the opportunities to live that now. And so that was really, I think, one of the more foundational activities that we did. Yeah, I love that. You know, why do I deserve to be here and how did I get myself here? I remember that session we had where we talked a lot about that because the old radio station was telling you that you were a fraud, that you were an imposter, that it was other people that magically saw something in you that you don't see in you, but you just kind of walked through the door because they believed in you and here you are, but you really shouldn't be here. And at any minute, you know, somebody's going to find you out. And they're going to discover that I really shouldn't be doing this and I shouldn't be leading this and I don't have enough experience. Like that was the radio station, right? That was constantly going. And so we started a new radio station (laughs) in your brain that said, actually, what was the path here? And I think you went through an exercise and you really thought like, what did I do? Like, what have I done in my life and in my career and in my journey that has brought me here And that shows that I'm equipped essentially for this. Absolutely. And I think once I had that foundation, then some of the other tools became really, really helpful. Like I still feel anxiety. I still feel ickiness. But the difference now is acknowledging that it's okay to feel icky, right? And instead of trying to run from it, really like look it in the face, sit down with it, figure out where that it feels in my body, right? Really understand it, deal with it, and then move on, use it and really trying to figure out why it's not a bad thing that it's there. It's my body telling me that there's, you know, something to look for or learn or listen to or adjust and that it was okay. So I think that was a really big, big shift. One of the tools that, you know, helped stop the spiraling. Yeah. So I want to talk about that in a second. I love that tool. I'd love to hear your thoughts on why the foundational work that we did around your purpose and around who you were just as a person, why that work had to be done first before you could get to some of the other stuff and the other tools later. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that activity was really that work that we did. I think it was just so foundational. It was so ingrained in everything that I was doing. I 
without having gone through that and kind of breaking through some of the assumptions that the stories that I've been carrying around in my head about who I was and what I was bringing to the table and my purpose and all of that. I mean, the rest of it, it just, it felt very foundational because it was the block. It was the brick wall in front of me. You know, I could manage my calendar. You know, we did a bunch of work, like just figuring out how to navigate the day, how to stop at five o'clock when I wanted to stop or 4.30 or whatever that time was. But if I couldn't get to a place where I was accepting who I was and that... Believing in yourself in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. The self-doubt. I think at some point about halfway through, we were like, we were just acknowledging, you know, it feels like that self-doubt, that constant questioning, am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the wrong thing? It just kind of melted away. It feels like it was a right around the time or just after we did this purpose work, you know, we had done the some values work. This on top of really being aware when my brain was doing something and acknowledging what it was doing and that I didn't have to accept it just because it had always done that and being able to shift that voice. It had this foundational work of really believing in yourself, ultimately, like just knowing who you were at the core and believing in yourself and naming the deeper senses of purpose and identity and so forth. And like building this other foundation, when we started to deal with like, how do you leave work at five o'clock, which was another, we wanted to end the overworking that was going on at the same time. Right. And so as we started to do that though, it was going to require you to make some changes that felt kind of scary because you were going to all of a sudden have to tell people I'm leaving at five and I'm not logging back on again. Or you were going to have to say, you're going to have to be much more selective about the meetings. I remember we went through a process of thinking about what I think you said, I think about 25% of meetings I don't have to be at, you know, but that would require me telling them no. (laughs) (laughs) That was really hard because we don't want to disappoint anybody and we want to be available to our team. And, you know, a lot of this is your team coming to you. And so you want to be a leader that's, you know, very available. So there was all of this stuff going on that we were going to have to shift some perspective of and change the way you were operating. And if we didn't have that foundation, of like who you were at the core and just believing in yourself at the core, your brain was just going to use all of that as more evidence to why you're really not all that good and why you definitely are in the wrong place. And you're for sure an imposter. Like it would just continue to use it as evidence because we wouldn't have addressed it at the core level. Right. And so now your brain couldn't use it as fuel anymore because you could always go back to like, nope, this is exactly who I am. And I know I should be here. Here's all of the reasons why there was a solid foundation that your brain really couldn't argue with anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then that foundation work happened. And then to your point, we started to work on some of these, like the overworking behaviors and the people pleasing and the perfectionisms and all of those kinds of things that were causing, that were not necessarily causing, but were a result of you not feeling good enough ultimately. Right. And so one thing that you just mentioned though, a moment ago was not avoiding some of those icky feelings, like expecting that saying no to a meeting request is not going to feel good. (laughs) Like that we're not going to try to change that. It's going to feel bad to tell somebody I can't be there. And I think you can handle it, but I'm not going to be there and be the support that you want me to be. Like, that's just not going to feel good. And we're not going to change that. We're just going to allow that to kind of feel bad. And when we allow it, what happened for you when you really started to allow instead of like push back or label some of these icky feelings? 
The first thing was I realized that what I thought was going to feel icky and bad didn't always feel bad. Meaning that when I pushed back and asked the team to kind of take the meetings or do the thing, it was really giving them an opportunity to grow and develop. And so by me being there all the time, it potentially was actually hurting them. So by me stepping back, giving them the tools they needed to be successful, then they can thrive, which is really my ultimate goal as a leader. Yeah, because you had the thought, if I'm not always available and I don't come to every meeting, then they're not going to be successful. That was the thought, right? That you had that went through your head. Like it's for sure me being available is the best thing for them. And me coming to everything is the best thing for them. And if I'm not, then I'm setting them up for failure. Right. That's the thought, the mindset, you know, the radio station you were tuned into. That was one we had to change. You had to think about that in a different way. And I remember we explored the other side of it. We said, well, what if that wasn't just true? How might it actually be true that it was better for them? that you weren't always available. Absolutely. We pushed your brain to think differently. And I had immediate examples that I you know, didn't even make the connection of. But when conversations I had to have with my bosses of like, step back, I need to be able to do something, to try something that I haven't done before in order, in order to learn it. So by you as my boss stepping aside, then it helps me to be able to grow. And it was just ironic that I had just had these conversations and not even making the connection that I was doing the same thing to my team. Yeah, so good. I know. So we just flipped the thought. We flipped the mindset around in that one. So not really avoiding the icky feelings. And then obviously what you're telling us is that the icky feelings stopped they lessened considerably because you shifted the way you thought about them and they passed. So things that you thought originally were icky don't feel icky anymore. You don't feel bad about them anymore in a way that you did. So that's one big result that's happened. What's another tool that comes up for you as you think about shifting thoughts and shifting your mindset? I think one of the uh, challenges that I struggled with is the, I mentioned earlier, you know, the spiraling in my head. This past week was a really good example. There's just been some things that are going on, lots of really feedback that's been coming in in the past couple of weeks from employees and from team members. And so it's just been spiraling a lot in my head. And you know, one of the tools, it's so simple, but just doing a data dump of everything in my head and then taking a step back and seeing what I notice. And it was interesting in the past couple of weeks, I've done this a couple of times. I get up early in the morning, I have my coffee, my quiet, and I just do the dump. The first time I did it, I was like, huh, it's not such a long list of everything in my head that feels like it's been keeping me up at night. I can actually tackle that. Interesting. That's okay, right? So that was one of the ahas, just kind of getting it on paper. So good. You know, the other time that I did it, it was really fascinating because when I wrote down all of the things that were creating, that were on my mind that I just couldn't get out of my head and in my gut, what I realized was that there was a theme with each of them, there was that feeling of inadequacy. So will I be prepared enough? Will I show up as authentic? What if they don't like me? You know, will I be good enough? And so then I could tackle the feeling of inadequacy and start going back to some of the other things that we had talked about versus trying to work on all the little things on my list that were overwhelmingly, because at the end of the day, it wasn't about those things. It was that I was allowing that voice of I'm not good enough to surface again. So good. Give us even a little bit of how you do the brain dump. What's the process for you? Literally, it can feel really simple, but there's a lot of people out there that have never done anything like that. So we're talking about like literally getting your thoughts down on paper. What do you ask yourself? What do you do? I'm a little bit of a weirdo and I have to have the right paper and pen. That's the first thing. I I can't let that be a barrier. (laughs) I don't think you're a weirdo. I think that's totally normal. 
I love it. I mean, I do it two ways, right? One, I I have my like favorite notebook. And like I said, I kind of have to clear my space. I get up in the morning before the kids wake up. I have my coffee, my big glass of water. I feel refreshed and quiet. And then I just start writing. And it feels, I think the first line is always the hardest. There's so much emotion that comes up right in the gut. It's like, I always feel it in my stomach and my gut. And so I just kind of force myself to write that first thing. And I have to consciously tell myself it's okay if it's not perfect, right? Because even that perfectionism still comes in in these activities. Even though nobody else is going to read this, obviously, it's just for you, but still you got to get it out there perfectly. And that's a good point because I have to consciously say, I'm going to throw this paper away when I'm done. I'm not going to keep it. And so that gives my brain permission to just be unfettered, right? Just to be completely... However you want to write. Exactly. Do you have like a question that you ask yourself that gets you into the brain dump? So the one that I did the past couple of weeks was really about just what is it that's keeping you up? Give me everything that's creating anxiety. That was my my trigger. Yeah, that launched it. Yeah, I mean, that when I was feeling in my body was that something is going on because I'm feeling this anxiety that I haven't really felt in a while. And so something's going on. So let's start there. So what is that? I also do a little bit of just some breathing work and listening to my body. I think that was one of the things that you had talked me through with just like stopping, pausing. And I have for so many years thought feelings were a negative thing. You know, don't cry, don't be emotional. And I think part of the work, some of the activities that we did together really started to break through. Of, okay, it's okay that I feel that emotion. And so instead of kind of running from it, I would give myself time to just feel that. And it's not long, right? It's 30 seconds. It doesn't take long. It was just a, you know, that moment of centering. I like to say that life is 50-50. And I get that. I think that was first introduced to me probably by my coach, my business coach, Stacey Baby. And I think it was like a concept that her coach, which is Brooke Castillo, talks about how life is 50% on the positive end of the spectrum emotionally and 50% on the negative end of the spectrum emotionally. It's all normal. All emotions are normal. Like that's the goal here is to not judge ourselves and the fact that we have negative emotions. 50% of the time, we are in that end of the spectrum, not necessarily at the far end. You know, we're not feeling like depression or we're not feeling grief. You know, those are very far end of the spectrum, negative end of the spectrum emotions, but we could be just feeling dissatisfied or we could just be feeling uncomfortable. We could just be feeling something that's a little bit more on the neutral side. But regardless, every day, we're going to have emotions on both ends of the spectrum. And if we always attempt to be on the positive side of the spectrum, there is just so much that we miss out on. (laughs) There's a lot that the negative end of the spectrum is meant for on some level. Like I really do believe that negative emotions are useful to us to feel. We actually want to feel them at times. They are a communication to us about our life. And they're telling us, you know, sometimes it's very tangible, like danger, danger, danger. Like we want to feel danger. That's a negative side of the spectrum, but we want to feel it because something could be threatening us and our body and our life or our kid's life or whatever. We want to have that emotion in our life, right? So I I mean, that's a drastic example, but our emotions are just tools. They're communication that our bodies have been designed with to speak to us and give us information and tell us about our life and tell us what's going on and give us some clues into things. And so we don't 
want to ignore them and we don't want to dismiss them and we don't want them to not be there. But we do need to take some space, as you're saying, to allow them to be there and to have a moment with it and see if you need to think about it further. Like if maybe is there something further that you need to explore with this, whatever it's communicating to you, or do you just need to have a moment with it and let it go? What you just said is so, so important. And I think it was a really big shift for me to be able to just accept. It was part of the accepting who I am, accepting that emotional side, which I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it's cultural or society or just a female thing or what, but there's this, you know, this voice that says that it's not okay to feel emotion or to cry or to be, you know, vulnerable. And, you know, thank God for the Brene Browns of the world who are getting <laughs> a message out there about vulnerability. But what you just said is so, so important. So I'm curious what the result has been for you having gone through lots of mindset shifting and a new foundation of the way you see yourself and thoughts about yourself and then having some of these tools. And obviously, we processed through a lot of that. I taught that to you in the process. And now you have them to use on your own, ultimately. Where would you say you are today as a result of this process, essentially? The first thing that comes to mind is just a general calmness and confidence that I have now. It was telling my uh, boss you know, recently, he, we were talking about my coaching and he was like, you know, I, I have noticed a difference and, and you seem more calm. And he asked if that was real or if I was like the duck with the, you know, calm on top of the water <laughs> and like fiercely kicking underneath. And I was, you know, I know I don't, I don't feel that way. I told my husband that later and he's like, you know what, you really are. You do seem calmer at home too. There's this just pervasive stress that I had before intensity that just was gone. And so with that came also the ability to just be present. You know, being present is something I've been working on for a couple of years now. And it's a journey. I'm not saying I'm always present. I've arrived, right? But there's just a general sense that when I am with my kids, I am with my kids. When I am in a meeting with my team, I'm with my team. I'm not constantly thinking about all of the other things. And so, you know, just being able to be present has been such a gift. Yeah, you're actually where you are. Your brain and your body, they're in the same place at the same time. <laughs> That's what being <laughs> present ultimately is, right? Yeah. You're able, you have the tools in order to do that. So good. And I know another big thing that came out of all of this process is like you had mentioned earlier that when you started the coaching process, you were pretty convinced that you had to leave probably. You had to leave the job, you had to leave the company potentially, like for sure that that was going to be the solution. There was no other way. <laughs> yeah, there was no other way. You, there was no way for you to be fulfilled. There was no way for you to really be confident in that role. There was no way that you could find balance. You know, there was just that was it. And so obviously that hasn't happened. <laughs> that hasn't happened at all. What has happened in your work as a result of this coaching? Do you feel like? Well, I think there's a shift in the um, getting ready for the next thing versus kind of fighting, feeling like I was swirling and spinning and not feeling good enough, right? The shift now is if I don't know how to do something in my job, to me, it's no longer a character flaw. It's like, okay, this is a skill that I don't know yet. Uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to practice it yet. And I think in the past, my brain was telling me it was hard, so don't do it. That showed up a lot. Like, this is hard. Just either give up or or whatnot. But now it's like, okay, so let's lean into that. Like, okay, brain, you're, you know, you're telling me this is hard and it's going to take a little bit more work. It's going to take a little bit more focus. 
And that's okay, right? That's part of the process. And one day I won't have to think about this thing so heavily. It'll become second nature and I'll be able to work on the next thing. So I think that shift from like it being a character flaw to like, okay, it's a skill. I got to learn it. I get the chance to practice something new. So good. Because for sure, your brain, again, tuned into the old radio station. When something felt hard, your brain would just use that as evidence to tell you, see, you really shouldn't be in this job. This should not be that hard. This is just another piece of evidence that this is you're in the wrong place and you shouldn't be here and you're going to be found out at any time and you're inadequate, right? It would just use all of that as evidence. And now, you know, because you're not tuned into that radio station anymore to like see something that feels hard or something you don't know and just go, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to have to put in some effort to figure that out. It's just like anything. If I didn't know something, I have to put in some effort. It doesn't mean anything about me personally. (laughs) It's just never practiced that before. And anything I've never practiced, I have to spend some time. Yeah. And I haven't validated this with people that I work with, but I feel like there's a difference in how I talk about those things as well. You know, I think about a recent example. I was just really struggling with it. And in the past, I think I would have felt like I had to, I don't know, fake it or cover it up or something and like prove that I could do it. But instead I was able to say, you know what, this is a skill I haven't learned yet. You are an expert in this. Would you sit down and mentor me through this? And it created this really nice experience. I'm no longer feeling like I'm apologizing all day. My words are just different. So I show up more confident. Ah, so good. This is so fun to hear you talk about the shift. I think it's really useful to working moms to hear some of the inner thoughts (laughs) going on and what some of the things that have happened or that you've had to really work at in order to get to the other side of it. And ultimately, it was just six months. It was only six months that it took us to do this, which you know is mind-boggling to me. And in reality, I remember when we did a midway nine at the halfway mark, which was three months in, nine sessions in. You know, we did this check-in about where you were at and where how we've progressed on your goals, and we were like, "You're nailing this!" (laughs) Like three months in, you were feeling immensely different. Yeah, I was just gonna say the same thing. Like, I feel like the first half was doing the foundational breakthrough. And then the second half was really like fine-tuning, using examples to fine-tune, retest my assumptions, you know? And I was surprised. Find all of the hidden ways that your brain was like trying to self-sabotage you and you still hadn't, you know, just really tuning into some of those things. Yeah, exactly. And I've done a lot of coaching in my life, different kinds of coaching, and they've all been very helpful. Great coaches, you know, nothing bad to say about them, but there was something different about this experience. And I don't think you knew I was going to say this, but it just felt the transformation happened so fast and so dramatic. Like there's such a difference from when I sat in my car during our first call to when we were doing the closeout session. I just felt like a different person. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And I also know that I've got to keep doing the work. I'm no longer afraid of doing the work, if you will. This is a, it's a constant discipline. I love that thought. It's a constant discipline. It is because self-development and managing your thoughts and becoming the person you want to become and having the life that you want to have, you got to do some stuff. You got to work on that. It's not just going to happen to you, right? I mean, people that have like these fairy tale lives that they absolutely love and they're so happy and it's not because it happened to them. They did some things. They work on some things on a daily basis to make it happen for sure. I love that this has been so transformative for you. And I'm curious if you could even go back to like our breakthrough call, which is that 
very first call that I offer for free, you know, where we talk about coaching, we talk about if coaching is the right next step. And I'm wondering if you can even put yourself back into that call and what your thoughts were at that time that really said, I got to do this. This is my next step in moving forward. Yeah. Well, I had followed you. I'd stalked you for a little while. Um, a worker <laughs> of mine, you know, I had the experience coaching with you. So I, I knew these great success stories and I knew your process. I think for me, that was just that acknowledging I, if I don't do this, I can't keep living the life I'm living right now. I just can't. It's not an option. I'm not healthy mentally. I'm not healthy, which is impacting my body. It's impacting how I show up with my kids at work. Like I'm not healthy. And I needed to kind of tackle what was going on. This kind of, I don't think I've ever heard you call it this, but it felt like brain-based coaching, right? Like really getting to the root. And that's really what helped create some of that transformation. Had you tried a bit on your own? I'm curious about that pre-coaching journey that you were on. Well, I mean, I think I read through the blogs and that, and um, tried to, you know, have some conversations with people that were close to me. But I think part of where I was at the time, I didn't trust myself to be able to do the work. It didn't occur to me that I could do it on my own, if that makes sense. We're a very individualistic society in America where we think that we should be able to do things on our own. And we have a massive self help industry here in America and books that could solve all your problems. And there's no question that there are a myriad of books that if you really digest them and you did all of the exercises in them, you could make some progress. But the three month, like, let's dial it in, let's get this done, let's figure out what's going on, let's change it at the core, let's get you into a foundationally new place. Like, that for sure couldn't happen in any other way. I think, except for coaching. It's been my experience personally in my own coaching journeys with my various coaches. It sounds like similarly for you. Yeah. I mean, they're really... I think this kind of this next phase of joining the collective that you've started and kind of go well, continuing the walk along with other moms, I think is feels like a really nice natural progression. But you're right. That first like diving in and doing that one-on-one and just being able to get fully real and like dive in fast. That was really, really critical. Well, Nicole, thank you for being here. This has been so fun to hear you chat and to really give us some insight into your brain. I think it's so useful to hear from other people's journeys, not just mine. You know, I could share mine all <laughs> forever, but but other people's journeys are very inspirational to hear and I love it. So thank you for your willingness to be here and to be honest and vulnerable with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Any parting words or thoughts for working moms out there that are just struggling and trying to you know, figure out how to feel good about themselves, to find that balance and fulfillment in life? Well, you know, something that you just said sparked something for me around how I don't think it was that long ago when I didn't feel comfortable sharing the things that were hard and the things that were on my mind because I felt like I had to know it all. And I think just being brave enough to talk to other people about the challenges and other connect with other moms, like realizing, ah, other people feel the same, right? Like you're not alone in it. And the solution doesn't have to be alone. Yeah, just permission to share your thoughts and to share your journey and to receive the thought that you're not alone, ultimately, and that other people have experienced it too. And that there's help out there. You don't have to go at it alone. It's so good. All right, Nicole. Well, I know that our paths will continue to cross as you 
continue in the collective and in the group coaching program. Thanks again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being a part of this. Hey, before you go, I want to take a moment and tell you about an opportunity to speak with me directly. If you've been listening to this podcast and still feel like you need help balancing a fulfilling career with motherhood, then I encourage you to schedule a free breakthrough call. On this call, we will get crystal clear on exactly what it is you want out of your career and how you want to balance that with motherhood. And then we'll craft next steps for you to start moving toward a more calm and fulfilling working mom life. Head over to www.rebeccaolsoncoaching.com forward slash book to apply for this free call. Till next week and working moms, let's get to it.